Fair play and fair value. It's what playing at William Hill is all about. William Hill. It's who you play with. Gamble responsibly. Rank Squad and welcome to Ranks FC. If you can tell by the excitement in my voice, it's a Europa League special. My name is Jack Collins and I'll be your host today. And joining me is the Rank God, Mr. Sam Tai. Hello, mate. Hello, mate. And of course, our transfer titan, Mr. Dean Jones. Hello, mate. Hello, mate. I mean, I don't think either of you are quite as excited about this as I am, but I'd imagine that there's a fair bit of ground to cover here. This is basically like one long things I love. For the whole yeah. episode so we're not going to do things we love but before we go piling into the europa league i do want to talk quickly about marco rose uh becoming the new dortmund manager or being announced as the new dortmund manager from next season sam this is oh, a reasonably big appointment i think quite a lot of people foresaw it and it seemed like the sensible appointment but getting it over the line is is big for dortmund yeah i mean according to my agenda it is the second most important thing to talk about today second only to the fact that it's pancake day shrove mm. tuesday that's I, I, just before we get into marco rose before it we won't get be by the time this is out <laughs> well when we're recording i mean i've already had my pancakes for lunch have you guys had yours yet I haven't no. had any pancakes yet. No. Are you going to have some for dinner, though? Yeah, probably. I am, actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's all ready to go, mate. It's all how, ready do you, to go. How, how do you go? Are you a traditionalist? Are you lemon and sugar? Are you sweet? Are you savoury? Well, don't forget, I've got an American wife, so we have two types of pancakes. Ah, of course. Mm, so we have American pancakes, and we also have English. And you know, Dylan's the fussiest eater in the world, so we'll give him both options, and he will eat neither. He okay. will uh, probably just have like fries. Um, and, <laughs> and I presume by English you mean French crepes. French, yeah, obviously. Yes. Um, and Reese will eat both. I'll probably go French. I, I just like lemon and sugar, to be honest. Mm, yeah, mm-hmm. really I, do. I'm a traditionalist with Dean here, and also, yeah, I, I don't really like fat pancakes. Uh, they have to be thin, I think, so to really get the yeah. get things. Off. I I'll wouldn't have, have one just stack. to be polite to Taylor, but yeah, probably... lemon and sugar on a crepe, and I'm a happy boy. I really don't no. ask for much in this life, I'm afraid. No. One of my no. family friends has salt and lemon on her pancakes, and I don't no. know what to do about it. <laughs> that must have been a mistake. Does she no, think no, no, it's no, a no, shot no. of tequila or something? I, I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what she's doing with it, but I can guarantee you that I have seen her ask for salt on pancake day, and I was like, right, you just do you. I'm gonna stay well away from well away from that kind of heathen horribleness over on that yeah. side no um, so yeah that's um that's my pancake day story right marco rose of course marco rose let's yes, let's give him his juice i mean look for dortmund this is good news because well just about any qualified manager at this point would be would be a huge upgrade on edin terzic they've just got worse under his tutelage so far and it's a shame for them that they can't get rose in immediately because the dortmund team does feel like a bit of a mess it does feel Pretty uncoordinated, pretty disorganised. It feels like it's only going to get worse as well. Um, according to everyone on my Twitter feed that closely follows and covers Bundesliga, Marco Rose is a really good personality fit for Dortmund, which is very, very important for every club, but seems particularly important for Dortmund. Dean, you've written in the past about sort of the church of Jurgen Klopp at Dortmund and and their search for a, a, a man and a manager who really suits them as a club and their ideology and their personality. And by all accounts, Rose is that kind of guy. So there's one tick. And the other tick is that tactically he's very good, uh, works very well with young players, comes out of the Red Bull coaching tree, which is something we will get onto later on in this episode as well with a couple of other guys that really stand out in this area. But through from RB Salzburg into Borussia Mönchengladbach, excels at training youth, excels at changing his formation. I've seen him play 4-2-3-1, diamond and three at the back. And I've seen him change the shape of his team specifically to cater for certain opponents with great success as well. So I'd say he's probably about the best manager Dortmund could possibly have attracted in this situation. So it's an automatic win, in my opinion. Mm. It was pretty bad. It was like the worst kept secret in football for a yeah. few weeks there. Um, and I think it came to the point he just had to, it just had to come out in the open, like what he was going to do because his own club 
deserved the respect of that. And I think Dortmund needed to know that Tadic wasn't going to be in this job for that much longer. Um, I think you've got to tell Haaland and Sancho that he's not going to be around. Well, that's obviously part of it as well. But, um, you know, the first job for Dortmund and it's Terzic's job is to make sure that they're not in the Europa League next season. This entire episode is about the Europa League, but Dortmund at this rate might be in this conversation by that point. But look, Rose um, went into the Gladbach dressing room and, and broke the news to them and, um, you know, apparently some of them feel quite betrayed because a few weeks ago when the rumours came out, he kind of assured them that he still had big plans at Gladbach. Obviously, they're into the knockouts of the Champions League and they've got a big game against Man City coming up. We'll have to see now how this affects the mindset of the team. Um, and ultimately, of course, Gladbach, they've been on a great trajectory. They've had, they've had some really good times under him. What comes next? Now, one thing that I've heard that they'll look at is don't forget Marco Rose came from RB Salzburg. Gladbach might well be looking back at RB Salzburg to see if they can get certain Jesse Marsh um, to come on over. Look, I don't know if he would go for that, but it's interesting. It makes sense that that's the kind of coach that they're going to go for. Um, so we'll see what they can do. But yeah, really interesting one. And at least Dortmund fans have something to look forward to on the horizon. And then in the meantime, it's just absolute desperation, hoping that somehow Terzic can get this team to claw out enough results that make sure they qualify for the Champions League. Because at the moment, that ain't looking likely. I mean, I guess the the thing is that they've played each other twice now in the Bundesliga so that they won't have to face each other again in, in that they got respect. a cup game coming up, haven't but they? But they do have a DFB-Pokal quarterfinal on March the 2nd. They're currently mm. on the same points, right? They're both on 33 points, three points off Leverkusen, who are in the Europa League spot right now, and six points off Wolfsburg, who occupied the final Champions League spot. I guess, you know, you, you make a point there, Dean, that it's important to tell people what you're doing because you don't want to be keeping people in the dark and especially important for Dortmund. But you do kind of get the feeling that it comes down to the last day and <laughs> Gladbach are one point ahead of Dortmund in the in the race for that fourth spot. You know, what starts playing on people's minds? And, you know, we saw this in in, in various things before. We saw that with Stefan de Vrij, didn't we, Sam? When he oh, moved yeah. from, from Lazio to Inter Milan. We saw this when Niko Kovac was announced as the new Bayern manager before the season ended at Frankfurt and there were games between them at that point. It was all just a bit mad, a bit mental. It starts to bring up narratives that, that probably aren't true, right? You'd expect that whatever happens, Marco Rose goes through the rest of this season trying to win every single game as Gladbach manager because he is a professional and he will do his job. But it starts to bring out narratives that people are like, oh, we've been betrayed. And it does feel occasionally when they announce these things early. Same with Upen Meccano, I think, going to... But, the big know. one for me was when Mario Götze was at Dortmund and he was basically announced as a Bayern Munich player for the following season. Just before what oh yeah the champions, champions league, league final league. between yeah. those two clubs that one really got me um very strange stuff is it is it a german thing i don't know most of the examples we have here stefan de Vrij side are, are, are germans they are they're so organized and they get this stuff done so early you know upper meccano confirmed monday marco rose to dortmund confirmed on tuesday this this happens quite a lot uh, maybe it's just the drawback of being super organized, but I'm sure they've all made their peace with it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, there's a, a lot of work for Marco Rose to do. And we got a message actually from, from one of our listeners, Joel, who messaged to say, can we do the five things that Marco Rose needs to do when he joins Dortmund? And I said, no, because we have no idea currently what those five things are going to need to be. But it might be something that we come back to in the summer when we have more of an idea of exactly what Harland. Rose will have to do. Do. Sancho, keep Rayner and start winning and start winning some more. There you go. Right. Thank you, Dean. Yeah. <laughs> this all, this all nice comes, to have seen here. Yeah, this all becomes much clearer once we get to the end of the season. We know which competition, European competition, Dortmund will be in, and we start to get a look at the futures of certain players, right? Yeah, absolutely. Right, should we get on to the Europa League? Um, I can't wait any longer, I'm afraid. So after the break, we're going to be doing a load of mini rankings about the world's most exciting club competition. Don't go anywhere. <laughs> Welcome back to Ranks FC. It's time to get into the Europa League. Sam, lots of mini rankings, I imagine, because there's a lot of ground to cover here. 32 teams and a whole load of excitement. Yeah, lots of ground to cover. So similar format to what we did last week with the Champions League. Uh, this time we're a little bit more timely. We're in the, we're in the correct week uh, previewing <laughs> this stuff. But hey, our schedule gets the better of us sometimes. So what I've done is I've ranked the top three obvious candidates to win this tournament. And 
the way I've defined obvious is I've basically taken those names from odds checkers top 10 in the betting odds because everybody's idea of obvious differs, but the betting odds are probably a fair way to do it. So the top three candidates to win based on odds checkers top 10. I've then gone for the top three dark horse winning candidates and I've taken those from outside of odds checkers top 10. Can you believe it? Can you believe it? There was actually a thought process that went into it. And then finally, I've gone with the top three must watch teams. Just vibes. Good times and good vibes. That's all it needs. So we'll just round off some of the other really interesting teams in that section. And I'll open the floor for Jack to throw in a load of stuff about a Portuguese team that's doing bits or something like that. I'm just going to throw in players. I can just have an extra segment at the end for just players who are vibes. Um, and and we'll let, let's get to it because otherwise we're going to run out of time because there is a lot to get through. So uh, over to you. Okay, so obvious winning candidates. And at number three, I'm going to put AC Milan. Very serious contender for this trophy. Uh, a team that has spent basically the majority of the season at the top of the most competitive and high quality Serie A in years. And that has to be considered. That has to be respected. Over the next couple of weeks, I kind of expect Milan's title challenge, the Scudetto challenge, to slip a little bit. They've probably hit their glass ceiling. I don't think they can outlast Inter or Juve for the Scudetto. And I think that will become more clear over the course of the next month. So that makes... The Europa League, like just even more important and, and just as just as important really as I think we all thought it would be back in September when this all kicked off. This looked like a real opportunity for them. They've progressed through the group, no problem. A really talented and determined and together team with good leadership figures to guide through the young'uns. You've got Kayer and Zlatan at the front and the back and the rest of them are all children, but it's fine. They're all together. They're playing really well. They've had a very recent blip Losing to Spezia is not a good look, but for the most part, Milan really haven't done too much wrong this year. They're a very strong team, and we've got two potential added bonuses here in, in the case of a Milan Europa League win. The first is that I get a prediction right, which is always a positive. And the second is that Dean gets to feel like even more of a proud father. I think Milan, like I was, I was thinking about like how, what kind of side we can expect from them and obviously how they're going to balance out this this push for Serie A, which has got to be the priority, right? Um, got to got, be. Got Derby at the weekend. They've got Derby? Blimey, that's a strange game to be playing. Is <laughs> um, Wayne Rooney now about this? I was looking at it, I was like, Mandzukic here becomes a really interesting option for Milan. And I'm wondering if, like, obviously they needed another option, alternate option in attack anyway, but I reckon just play Mandzukic in all the Europa League games. Like, he needs to be your starter. I think you can trust him, right? Don't know in Serie A that he's going to be starting that many games. And I think in the Europa League, you just give him that responsibility and say, listen, you are the guy that we want to help lead us um, to glory in this competition. And I think he, he would kind of thrive on that. He's 34. He's been at so many clubs now across Europe that he's got great experience, whether it's Dino Zagreb, Bayern, Atleti, Juventus. Um, you know, he's been all over the place. And, and now at Milan, I think that he'll be a real good guide for them. Um, this team, obviously, you know, they haven't kept up the momentum that they had um, from, I guess, since New Year, really. They've had a couple of blips, haven't they? So let's see if they can kind of even out. And Mandzukic, yeah, is the guy that I'm looking at to kind of be the catalyst for them. Yeah, Mandzukic is like 34. I think a lot of people will probably wonder like how, how fit he can possibly be. But I actually ended up, I went, to, I went to Turin a couple of years ago for Juventus versus Porto and I ended up having a few glasses of wine with one of the Juventus fitness coaches and he was raving. Yeah, I know it's a weird story. Um, raving about Mandzukic's physical condition and mm. his determination and his will to be in the best possible condition. You know, even when he's injured and told not to train, he will sit inside and watch the team training, but he'll also just be on the exercise bike for like two hours. Like the guy is unbelievably determined and I think some people probably look at Mandzukic coming out of the, the Middle East at 34 and thinking he's a bit washed. I don't think that's in his personality. No, no, I agree. I like this shout. I think this is where he comes into his own, isn't it, for, for Milan? We, we've talked about him being a calming influence on the squad. We've talked about him having, you know, uh, the, that winning mentality and, and, and really starting to kick on in terms of bringing that experience to the table. But this is where you'd imagine if he's going to get starts 
he's going to get starts. You know, this mm. is where he he starts to become part of that wider rotation and and he'll want to prove things to everyone as well. And and, and now that Inter are, are probably now favourites to win Serie A, uh, especially the fact that they don't have a European competition to worry about in this end. And, and Sam, as you said, being 1-0 down to Inter is basically the worst position to be in world football right now. <laughs> uh, Milan will look, I think, at the Europa League as a huge opportunity because, you know, they'll while they won't give up that title chance, by any stretch of the imagination and you can't you know I imagine that how this plays out is maybe dependent on how that derby does end up at the weekend if they lose to to Inter and they go four points behind then and suddenly the the tables are flipped do they then focus their energies on trying to win this and and making sure that silverware is achieved in what has been a remarkable season for them because this then starts to look like the best opportunity to do that. Yeah, and we've got a good good opening fixture here against the team we can't pronounce. Svena Zvezda. It's something like that. Since I was born 100 years ago, I've called <laughs> Star Belgrade. Why do I need to... St- I'm not changing, especially because the second part of their name should be a capital Z, surely. The first name is Svena, fine. Svesta, Z. V-E-Z-D-A, and there's no capital Z. I can't compute that. It is a separate word. It should be a capital. It should be <laughs> capital letters involved. That's, that's Obviously, I apologise. I don't know if we have any listeners that from Belgrade absolutely cursing me right now, and I apologise if there are. I hope not. I love Belgrade. Belgrade's favourite city in Europe. It's a wonderful place, and I'm drawn back there on but regular even occasions. Even Red Star Belgrade. But even I call them Red Star, I'm afraid. This this one is just too much of a mouthful, although I will try. But look, yeah, that's the, that's the Milan game. They have... <laughs> They have the red side of Belgrade in their sights. And <laughs> you'd imagine that that losing that would be a body blow to Milan's season, you know, especially given current circumstances. Yeah, sure. Absolutely. But they won't lose that. So it's fine. And then my number three in this list. And we're going to go to number two now. And mm-hmm. rather than steal your words, Jack, I think I'll just hand this one over to you, mate. It's Napoli. Mm, we're back on narrative FC hype, are we? Uh, are. Napoli won this competition, as many of you know, in its prior form as, as the UEFA Cup. In 1989, during their golden period, led by the late, great Diego Maradona. Uh, He scored in the first leg of the final as they beat Jurgen Klinsmann Stuttgart 5-4 on aggregate. Uh, They're up in the favourites because of the quality of this squad. Uh, But as Sam pointed out last Friday, the Juve win, well, it may well have kept Rino Gattuso in a job. There's a sense that there's underperformance now in a squad that boasts not only club legends in Lorenzo Insigne, Dries Merton, but also top-level talent in Herving Lozano, Kalidou Koulibaly, Fabian Ruiz, Alex Mere, Diego Deme, Timu Bakayoko, and, of course, club record signing Victor Rossimen. His injuries, perhaps, the get-out-of-jail card for Gattuso. Andrea Patania, hard as he works, is not quite the same player and stylistically very different to Osimhen's explosiveness. Uh, and his injury return was cut short by a positive coronavirus test. You know, when you when your luck's out, your luck's really out. Yeah. But he came back against Juventus, uh, a huge boost for the Partenopi. And it's easy to see why, because when Osimhen has started this season, Napoli have won over 70% of their games. Uh, without him in the squad, that drops to just 55%. Um, mm-hmm. They're 10 points off the pace in the Scudetto hunt, although they do have a game in hand. They're out of the Coppa Italia after a semi-final defeat to Atalanta, and they've lost the Supercoppa final to Juventus. The Europa League now represents their their only realistic chance, I think, at silverware in a season that's aggressively emotionally charged after the death of Diego. They'll be playing in the Argentinian stripes in the newly named Stadio Diego Armando Maradona, and with a returning star striker in hand, I wouldn't write them off. I wouldn't either. That's why I put them second in my list of possible winners. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, fair enough. Well, they're the reasons I think they might win it. There yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, this is annoying as hell because they got Granada in the round of 32. And I just think that that was wrong from Raifa. They wrong. got the draw wrong. Yeah, it's. I, they should have done it again, I think, when, when that happened. It was right yeah. at the end of the draw as well. And I was watching all the teams come out the hat. I could see about six teams left and we were there and Napoli were there. And I was like, oh, come on. And to be honest with you, over the course of January, you know, Napoli really faltered, as Jack talked about, with no Aussie men and a couple of other injuries. And I didn't expect them to beat Juventus this weekend with their third and fourth choice centre-backs 
and having seen David Ospina slated to start in goal and then withdrawn during the warm-up, which meant Merritt had to go in. So look, Merritt's a pretty handy second-choice keeper. I like Merritt. I think Merritt should start. I agree. I think he's probably better, but the preparation of the team was that Ospina would play. And so to be able to deal with all of that, no Koulibaly, no Manolas, and then your starting keeper gets wiped in the warm-up and come away with a win against Juve, who had been on a five- or six-game win streak, was absolutely not what Granada needed whatsoever. No, so probably. it's really annoying. Um, but I expect Napoli to come through that round of 32 tie. And I, I, as, as obvious, obviously, because of their presence in this list, I would not be remotely surprised if they go on and win this game, not only because of their overwhelming quality, but also because it's the only trophy they've really got a shot at. And of course, the spirit of Diego Maradona is chandling their drive towards a trophy. Right. Who's above them at number one then? Sam? Well, it's it's going to be Manchester United, isn't it? They are the bookies favourites, um, top of the odds checker list. And while I do obviously find it very difficult to trust United at points, it's also very difficult to look past that on paper quality. If you want it in simple terms, I guess I just looked at all the teams and I thought, well, there probably isn't a better player left in this competition than Paul Pogba or Bruno Fernandes. And that gives them an immediate leg up on the competition. It gives them a difference maker and and two world-class players in a competition where most clubs don't have any at all. Yes, there's a fragility to this team. That fragility means that they basically can't compete with the likes of City for a a, a title chase, for a Premier League title-winning spot. But in a series of one-offs and and, and knockout tournament games, pretty formidable. And then you add in a few other bits. You know, Luke Shaw is playing fantastically well. Aaron Wan-Bissaka looks very good at the moment. Rashford is obviously excellent. Cavani leading the line in a Europa League charge. Like, there's just no doubt that they've got major players here. The majority of them are in form. And you may not have them as your number one. You guys, I don't know how you feel about this. And and, and to the listener as well, like, you may not have United as a number one, but you can't really get away from the fact that they are a serious contender here and an automatic top three in this tournament. I mean, Sociedad, I, when the draw was made, I was like, oh, that actually looks to me like one of the toughest draws they could yeah. have got here. Yeah. It is. Um, I do think it is. But then I, well, I discovered that Sociedad actually scored the fewest goals um, in the group stages. Um, they were all very, very low scoring games. Um, but yeah, Sociedad also pretty hard to score against, aren't they? So United, they have to go and make a statement in this game because this is as we say, one of the toughest games they could have got. And if they win this, they could pretty much prove that they could beat anyone. What I do, what does make me laugh a little bit about the odds checker list is that there are four English teams left in this tournament and all four are in the top five in terms of favourites. That's how biased it comes to <laughs> when betting lists are made. It's like, well, the English teams are better than everybody else. Is there anybody that could at least compete with them? Yep, Milan, we'll put them fourth. Man United <laughs> favourites, Tottenham second, Arsenal third. Arsenal are not better than AC Milan. And there's no, or Tottenham, there's no way you could say that Tottenham are more likely to win the Europa League than like half the teams on this list. I cannot believe that they are second favourites. That's ridiculous. Anyway, rant over. Yeah. Well, Mourinho has form. He has form in this competition. So, oh. so perhaps. I mean, the argument maybe that there's not a better player in this competition than Bruno Fernandes and Paul Pogba is perhaps undersold by Harry Kane being also in the competition, Sam. Um, but, but I, I'll leave that slide for now. I, I don't mind this shout because I think that United do have a really good chance of winning it if they get through this tie. Uh, mm. And I, at the moment, I'm not completely convinced that they will. Uh, and I, I, you know, I, I wouldn't. So I'll talk about Sociedad later, but but I think that that's that's perhaps why I wouldn't have them at number one because they have the trickiest tie by a distance at, at this point in the competition. And and I would say that that Real Sociedad are probably you know not far off being a top ten contender themselves. And and in that you know in that form and and with that said, then. You you start to look at this, but I suppose if you're going to win it, you have to beat the teams that are going to that are also going to win it, and therefore Neutral United have an early well. test. Neutral yeah. venue in Turin, you know, like that takes something away from Sociedad's chances. I think, like, I, I'd say that you know it doesn't favour either team, but if you were to say which one is that's most likely to help, I'd say it's probably Man United. So, um, yeah, I hundred percent think like you have to see Man United as favourites, like. They're second in the Premier League. They've been in really good form. Like that front four, like we talked about on Patreon the other day, when you see, um, you know, Greenwood, you see Rashford and Fernandez playing behind Cavani, like that is lovely. That is a lovely front four. And if that's how they line up, then they should win the competition, to be honest. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. I think, I mean, what I thought was interesting, Sam, is that you said that 
Tottenham a second there. I think Leicester City should probably be higher up than than Spurs and Arsenal. Uh, quietly, I think Leicester are my favourites to win it on the condition that they keep Jamie Vardy fit because I don't think there's many defences that are going to be able to deal with the pace and power of Vardy and Barnes, the creativity of James Madison, Yuri Tielemont, and the formidable wall that is Wilfred and Didi, Ricardo Pereira, Fafana, Schmeichel, whoever plays out of Justin and Castagna. So Justin, not Justin, mate, unfortunately, anymore. But yeah. Led, you know, and, and led by one of the five best coaches in the game right now, in my opinion. So... Uh, I think Leicester, Leicester are up there with, I would have them in my top three quite easily, quite comfortably, I would say. So you're taking Milan out? Or are you taking I, United out? I would take Napoli out. I, I love Napoli, but oh! I wouldn't have had them in my top three. No! I would have had Napoli fourth. Leicester, United, Milan, Napoli. Ranking, Leicester is your favourites. Ranking the I think biggest Leicester will win betrayals. This yeah. I think Leicester are going to seen. I think Leicester are going to lose to Slavia Prague. No, you don't. You're do. saying that. You're just saying no, that. I'm not. Like, 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 like you keep saying that Leeds are going to get relegated. You're the biggest I'm not troll. actually. You are the biggest troll that I'm I know. Not. They've got a forward called Abdelassima, and I was watching a, uh, a show the other day about him and Slavia Prague. His quality. He's got 18 goals in 26 appearances, 11 in the league from 14 games, three from six in the Europa League. They seemed to just float the ball over the top and he flicks them in with his head from the three or four goals that they showed in this doc. And what was interesting is that Slavia Prague have like been built, they brought in this manager and he completely just rebuilt things a few years ago, just brought in all these youngsters, players that were completely untested. The fans basically didn't know who any of their players were a few years ago. They were like, trust us, we're building something. And they've all grown together. And it was really interesting to hear the story of how they've grown as a team. And they're just like, we can beat Leicester. Why not? Oh, and I was now, like, now who's a sucker for narrative? I FC. am with you. Slavia Prague are going to beat Leicester. Okay. Uh, Jamie Vardy calls and says hi. Jamie Vardy's 12 goals and five assists from 17 starts say hi. Yeah, exactly. Leicester, Leicester are focusing on the league. They could win that. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, on that note, let's move on. Should we, Sam? Yeah. Yeah, we should not give Dean any more airtime. <laughs> Let's move on to dark horse winning candidates. So taken from outside of odds checkers already systematically debunked and pillaged top 10 betting odds list. At number three, I'm going to put PSV Eindhoven, who actually ended up in 20th in this odds list, which I thought was a little bit harsh. I appreciate they only leapt into first place in their Europa League group at the very last moment, sadly at the expense of Granada. And perhaps that's fooled a few uh, maybe English-centric betting companies anyway to kind of dismiss them a little bit. But this is this is Roger Schmitz. This is a, another coaching product of the Red Bull system. His teams are always steeped in those tactics emanating from the Red Bull tree. So everything we talk about with Julian Nagelsmann, with Jesse Marsh, with Marco Rose, and him in particular, his is a Hasenhutl, very similar to Hasenhutl's 4-4-2, high-pressing, high-line, quick transition. So it's a more like a 4-2-2-2. Committed to playing out from the back under all circumstances. The goalkeeper is basically a third centre-back in build-up. He's exactly like Andre Onana is for Ajax, although this fan's name is Yvonne Mvogo. The, the host of forwards they have, we've talked about Daniel Marlon plenty on the Patreon podcast. They have Eren Zahavi and Cody Gakpo, Ihataran, Noni Madweka, all different, all exciting. You've got Ibrahim Sangare knitting it together from the base in midfield. I would class PSV as a must-watch. We'll get to those a little bit later, but I didn't want to tread on the same ground. But I think they're, they're, they're dark horse candidates. They're, they're a team that play with such a system that if it does go right for them in succession, if the, if the cards do fall, they could beat pretty much anybody despite the quality gap. And I think PSV are, are a candidate here for sure. They're a very good team. Okay. Yeah, nice. I, I like this as a shout because it does, weirdly does feel like a proper outside shout this year. And, you know, you, you've obviously laid it on as to why they will be down the betting odds and why they will be. But they they feel like a kind of, a side who can hurt people and and hurt teams that are bigger than them, I think, which which mm. is which is a kind of key here. If you're going to be an underdog side getting to the final, it's probably not going to be by controlling games and and by completely dominating. It is by hurting teams when when you get those opportunities. And that array, that attacking core, is you know an absolute delight. And and they will cause problems for people. Yeah, they will. I'm excited to see them. I mean, I hate them because they picked Granada to first in the group. But I wish them the best of luck all the same because I am, of course, objectively neutral and 
a reasonable adult human being who doesn't hold grudges. <laughs> right. Who's next? Number two is Shakhtar Donetsk. Nice. Now, yeah. I mean, again, we refer back to these odds. 17th in the list. Guys, They've come, out, they've come out of the Champions League group stages and okay, they were they pretty beat Real Madrid. Honestly, <laughs> they were honestly pretty... <laughs> I think these people draw up the top 10 or whatever. They like draw up a list and they're like, oh, Shakhtar, where do they play again? What country are they from? Oh, put them down. What, what, <laughs> pick a number. They're not going to do it, are they? This I mean... is honestly like just shows up like so much of the mentality that I've talked about recently of like, but when I was talking about like the Manaman thing last week of the ignorance of like people in this country, like this is it again. Shakhtar have got so much pedigree to go into a tournament like this and do well. I know they not only they dropped out of the Champions League group stage and finished above Inter in Group B, which was the craziest group of all time. Um, last season they made it to the semi-finals of this competition. <laughs> yeah. And yet they got beaten by a very good Inter Milan side who yeah. went on to be beaten marginally by Sevilla side. But I actually don't think there's a team in this competition that measures up to uh, to what Inter Milan are right now and, and maybe even Sevilla, to be fair. So that was just a, a rough draw. But they got really far. Like, the pedigree is undoubted. So, and this is basically like the same team that finished in the semi-finals last season. And yes, they're up and down. Like they did the double over Real Madrid in the groups. They also lost 10-0 combined to Gladbach. So it's a weird flex. Yeah, but that um, was Marco Rose. We've already talked about how brilliant a coach he is. <laughs> yeah, but it's, uh, I mean, Group B was just this <laughs> beautiful shambles, wasn't it? I thoroughly enjoyed it. But uh, on Shakhtar's side, like I say, it's, it's a similar team. It's Marcos Antonio controlling in midfield. We spotlighted him on our Friday Patreon. He's a wonderful tempo setting controlling midfielder the defense is full of good young ukrainian defenders who were like 23 and under that's valerie bondar at center back who was a major force in ukraine's under 20 world cup win and victor korlienko at left back the brazilian right side of dodo and tete i love not just because of the symmetry of the names but because they're also very good at football they've got the silver-haired fox marlos pulling the strings from between the lines and number 10 and the big news for Shakhtar is it for the first time in over a decade they have a goalkeeper <laughs> this is sam's not... longest standing agenda the biggest <laughs> agenda that sam has ever had the anti-piatov agenda well, for the first time in over a decade they're not using that clown piatov in goal they've got somebody else anatoly trubin who's only 19 but has looked pretty good and started five of the games in the champions league group stage and was pretty busy but pretty good. I looked through my old tweets in preparation for this just to see how much of an agenda I've got against Piatov. And you cannot con you cannot accuse me of not being consistent in my views because I have been horrible to Piatov since 2013. I've questioned his pedigree. I've asked why he's a professional footballer. I've suggested that Shakhtar's only downfall during the Fernandinho and Willian era was the fact that they had an idiot in goal. So... I don't know what's come over me with this one because usually I like to think I'm quite professional, but he has just wound me up for a long, long time. Anyway, it's gone he now. Was, so I he support... was quite important in uh, in in Pitchfork's the Champions cartoon though because he 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 found Goldtron, didn't he? He, he did. Yeah, vital so... a vital role in history, uh, not necessarily to do with football, but there you go. But um, yeah, Dean, I kind of agree with you. I think they probably get underestimated because Eastern Europe, and particularly Ukraine, is is one of the only remaining genuine blind spots in football analysis at this point even even people like ourselves who try to keep a wide eye yeah. on, on this sort of thing we do struggle a little bit with you know behind the iron curtain uh, sides and totally it's it is a bit of a but but with Shakhtar there's no excuse because we get to see them literally every year in European competition yeah. they've always got a host of Brazilian players that they're nurturing into stardom and they've always backed them up with basically Ukraine's best goalkeeper and defense and defensive mm -hmm. setup that's almost always a recipe for success so Shakhtar are obviously a contender in this wide open Europa League format that's the beauty of it a team that finished in the semi-final stage last year and was in the Champions League group stage this year is going to have something to say. Mm. Haven't lost a league game either. Yeah. I was going to say, do you want to know an interesting fact about Shakhtar? I've got a couple of interesting facts today. Go on, then. Uh, one of them is, obviously, they won the last ever edition of the UEFA Cup in 2009. In the 12 seasons since then, they have qualified for the knockout round of the Europa League in seven of the 12. But of the remaining five, they've qualified for the Champions League knockout round in three. And they've reached two semi-finals. That's unbelievable going. They are, aside from Sevilla, probably this competition's most successful side. I would, I would argue. 
Yeah, I mean, they're sneaking into that kind of Jack Collins praise radar in the same way that you always talk about how Porto consistently make it out of the group. It's uh, I can see what impresses you. It's making yeah. it out of groups, yeah. That's um, <laughs> consistently making it out of the group stages. If you come from a not top five league, is an incredibly impressive achievement. Yeah. I would, I would say, and I, I will stand by that. Also, Shakhtar don't have a home ground. They haven't played in their own home ground, the Donbass Arena, in since 2014 yeah. because of current political situations. They've been nomadic for seven years. They had a spell in Lviv, followed by a spell in Kharkiv, and this season they've moved again to Kiev. So all of this mad consistency in this competition has been on top of the wild inconsistency of where they actually play. Yeah. So even so if more fixtures get moved around due to COVID restrictions, it's not really going to bother them, is it? <laughs> <laughs> there is that. There is that. Um, good. Right. Um, so fair play to Shakhtar. They are unfairly yeah. demonised in this odds one. list. 40 to 1. I mean... Yeah. They, they're probably insane. not going to win it, so I wouldn't put money on it. But, yeah, but still, is, like, it's, it's way too long. Fifteen to two, yeah. and Shakhtar are forty to one. Like that's ridiculous. Yeah, yeah you're not. If wrong. they played each other tomorrow, I'd back Shakhtar. Not wrong, Sam. Who's in at number one? So at number one, I've gone for Lil. Okay. The thing about Lil is yeah. they don't concede any goals. Yeah. They, they've done that thing that City did. Very clever. Sworn the oath, haven't they? Thou shalt not concede goals. And look what it's done. The results have been amazing. They've kept six clean sheets in a row. And to illustrate how those have actually genuinely been like truly earned, I took a look at the, our old friend FB ref and took a look at the expected goals figures. And the last match that they played in which their XGA, so their expected goals against figure, was one or more, was against Celtic in December. Yeah, they lost 3-2. Yeah, since then, 12 games, the XGA has been under one and more often than not, it's been under 0.5. They are consistently completing 90 minutes against teams and either just not letting them shoot at all, full stop, or the shots that they do allow are such low quality that they're never actually going to, they're going to never going to bother them anyway. So they've got a really strong defensive unit built on Jose Font, the immortal man, and Sven Botman and Mike Manjan in goal is very good as well. And then up front, it's kind of like pick four of these eight very impressive, very good attackers. You've got Jonathan Okone and Jonathan Bomber. You've got Jonathan David. Wait, are they all called Jonathan? Jesus. I was thinking, I was when I was doing my research for this, I did notice that there are an unhealthy <laughs> amount of Jonathans kicking around the place. This is madness. Imagine calling out in training, Jonathan, and there's six people look around. It's ridiculous. They're all, all from the same position group as well. But Yusuf Yazitsi is around. Burak Yilmaz is around. They play a 4-4-2. It's not really like... PSV's 4-2-2-2. This is, a, this is a more traditional kind of flat two banks of four with, with a striker and a support striker. David is the perfect support striker and they use a, a target man up front as well. Although Yazitsi, I couldn't tell you what position he plays if I tried. I don't think he could. He is a man without a position, he's but a he's unbelievably... Produ- no, no, he's a cam, but he's like, in theory, he's, a, he's an attack. He does all sorts of stuff. Yeah, never... I wanted to talk about this because he was actually one of the players to watch, but I think it's probably worth doing it now. Um, yeah. He basically started out on the right-hand side of this Galtier 442 and was basically rubbish. Um, and then they moved him into the middle and he just turned into a baller. It was like, okay, and he's always paired with either Jonathan David, who's finally started to come good after a tough start mm. to replacing uh, Victor oh, yeah. Rossi men, or veteran countryman Burak Yilmaz, who... Leads Lille's overall scoring charts despite being 35. So fair play to him. Um, and and there, I thought there's one for the Indian summers debate actually that Ben Jarman asked about on Monday. Yeah, uh, Burak Yilmaz is having a proper Indian summer. He's um, he's been brilliant. And but I think what, what's perhaps most interesting about uh, about uh, Yazici is that he's obviously this competition's leading scorer. You know, despite the fact that he and mostly all his goals for Lille have come in this competition, apart from like three, which is which is kind of mad. So he's he likes this competition. Obviously, he scored that hat trick at, at the San Siro. Not many people are going to claim they've scored a hat trick away at the San Siro. And and he is basically part of this this attacking line. And like you say, Sam, there's so much talent here. Um, I was looking up the two Jonathans, Bamba and Okone. They've picked up 26 goal involvements between them this season already. And, mm. you know, then you've got Luis Arujo and Timothy Weyer and Isaac Lahaji. There's there's a lot of people rotating here and a lot of talent that they can call on. And, and in the middle, there's this kind of mad re-emergence of Renato Sanz and then 
Abubakar Samare is in there and Benjamin Andre and Sheka, who have all kind of added a little bit of, of experience to, to that Sanchez and, and Samare pivot. And then obviously Botman is paired with Jose Font. So, so there's just loads going on at Lille. It, it all's really nice. It does. Yeah. This is a serious team. Like they're top of Liga, and it's not by fluke. The, the, the underlying numbers are fantastic. The attacking talent is serious and the, the tactical system, it just doesn't put the team in danger of conceding really ever. So was pretty shocked to see them down in 15th on odds checkers list. Yeah, it's not often you see anything you see on there, mate. It's not often you see a team who are top of Europe's big five going under the radar, right? But I think maybe it's the fact that while Lille are sitting pretty at the top of Liga, their excellent season is perhaps flying beneath the radar because of the turmoil at PSG and Marseille, which is taking up most of the headlines out of France. Maybe. And like we have to make a point here, which is because we made the point for Manchester United. I put them top, but yes, they have to play Real Sociedad, who were a very good side. Lille have to play Ajax in the round of 32, and it is a serious test. I know, obviously, like there's been problems registering Sebastian Allaire for the crew, for the uh, for the knockout stage, which I could barely get through that sentence without laughing because it's so dumb. Um, and I don't know if Andre Onana can play. Obviously, he's been suspended for a year, but if it they appeal unlikely. it, if they he's appeal it, like, you never really by know. Thursday. I mean, yeah, so you've, you've got your basically your, your top, your, your, your number nine and your number one out. Severely weakens Ajax. Ajax are a really good team. And this is a hell, this is a hell of a round of 32 tie. It's potentially the best game on offer that we've been given and a really really good team is going to have to drop out here at the round of 32 when these two are quarterfinal quality at minimum and it's a massive shame and Lille have got that first immediate uh, hurdle to, to climb over so it might be a bit bold putting them at number one here but I just think the disparity between how good they are and how they've been talked about treated engaged I think it was too great not to really highlight it yeah, no, I agree with you. Uh, I think this is a uh, nice shout. A nice shout, Sam. Well done. I thought Villarreal were going to be here, but I've just found out that they are ninth. So they actually don't qualify for this bit. But bear in mind, they have Unai Emery in charge. Uh, this is the UEL is sometimes called the Unai Emery League uh, after his resounding success in the competition. So, so yeah, I, I mean, I guess they probably should deserve a mention at least. Yeah, sure. I mean, can they're you... not going in the exciting teams bit, that's for sure. No, not at all. I mean, can you win a game 1-1? I'm asking for Unai, not anyone else. You can Depends. actually in Europa League. Yeah, yeah you exactly. can. If that, was, if that was an away one, one, then you can. <laughs> well, there you go. That's why he wins it all the time. <laughs> Excellent. Right, should we move on, Sam? Yeah, I mean, we, we now move to must-watch teams. Um, just the fun bits that we can, you know, we can fill in the gaps just with. Just vibes now. Let's go. Just vibes. And at three, I'll put RB Salzburg. Yeah. So, I mean, look. Some of the most engaging and enthralling games that I watched during the Champions League group stage involved Salzburg. I mean, they had Bayern in their group, which was quite handy because you got to watch them against top tier opposition at least twice. And their frantic style of play and the impressive, like ridiculous cartel of youngsters they've got means it's it's actually really hard to catch a bad Salzburg game. I don't think it really actually exists. I'm not sure it's possible. I'm not sure they're capable of producing them because it's always part entertainment. And for Salzburg as well, it's partially a scouting mission. So whenever you watch them, you should be enthralled by their frantic style of play, but you should also be looking at two or three players very closely and figuring out which top European club is going to come for them next. Now, entering the knockout stage, obviously Dominic Jovoslai has, has gone to Leipzig and one that actually passed me by as I was doing my January transfers was that Jerome Nguyenet left during the winter window as well. He went to Genoa. But there's still plenty to look at here. Enoch Mwepu and Mohamed Kamara in midfield are both gems. Mwepu is this ridiculously dynamic dribbler. Serious engine. Absolutely incredible. And Kamara, combative, but with a wonderful passing range. will switch the play all day and all night if you don't press him. And if you do well, he'll roll the sleeves up and... He'll just get after you. It's great. And then they've got Seku Koita, Patson Daka, Mergin Barisha up front, all different types of forwards. Barisha's got the movement. Daka's, I call him the Zambian Jermaine Defoe. Which he's is, literally a gunman. He he yeah. scores goals in his sleep. Yeah, he's awesome. So there's loads of players to watch here for Salzburg. They always play entertaining games. And I guess a team like this, set up like this, with this kind of youthful enthusiasm and this like no, this no fear attitude, like they genuinely, I thought, were better than Bayern in one of the games they ended up losing about 5-2-2 in the group stage. They just kind of got edged in the end just through inexperience and just not 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 making those chances count. But they will create a boatload of chances against Europa League opposition. And if Dakar and Koita and Borussia can take them, 
then they arguably belong in the dark horse section. I just thought I'd hold them off a little bit and maybe just try and put the focus on their fun. Yeah, but they're playing they're playing the Dementors in that they'll just the, the life will be sucked out of them by Unai Emery's Villarreal. And that'll be that. They'll just draw one all. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's unfortunately what's gonna happen. All the like joy and fun of Salzburg will be sucked out. No, that's not a dig of Villarreal. They're exceptionally good at what they do, but I can't imagine them letting Salzburg run riot. So this could really test my theory. It's not possible for Salzburg to produce a dud of a game. Unai Emery steps forward and says, <laughs> challenge accepted. Watch this. <laughs> Absolutely. Watch this. Uh, who's in it too then, Sam? Real Sociedad. Yeah. Real Sociedad. Let's give him a little bit more of a mention. I, I can hand this one to you if you like, Jack. Yeah, I mean, La Real, a neutral's delight. Would you want to know another one of these interesting facts this time about Real Sociedad? I'm loving these interesting facts. So although it's Neighbours Athletic Club who maintain a Basque-only policy for players, the core of this current Sociedad crop is incredibly locally grown, And this isn't a new thing. Or else Sociedad are from the Gipuzkoa province of the Basque country. And incredibly, Sociedad have never played a game without a Gipuzkoan in their starting 11. And have started only one Gipuzkoan just four times in their history. They've played a full starting 11 of local players 295 times. And in terms of the here and now, 16 players in this current first team squad are products of Zubieta, La Real's Cantera, which roughly translates to Quarry, where their players are carved. It's the name of their academy. Um, so there you go. Fun fact aside. I did actually know that. I know you don't believe me, but I genuinely yeah, did. You, did, you I, did not know that. I actually did because of, <laughs> do you know why? La Liga TV. Oh. <laughs> it was one of the adverts. <laughs> it wasn't one of the adverts, but I've turned it on just to watch the adverts and just happened that a program started afterwards <laughs> about Sociedad. <laughs> There you go. Uh, yeah, it is, it is interesting, actually, the story of them. Um, and they have got a real crop. And that is what they were talking about, actually, is the unity of the club right now is like a huge part of what they've been able to build. And not only that, obviously, they've, they've got some real talent in there at the same time. And, you know, when they've had people like Odegaard, at you know, that have come into the group and just like help them grow as players. Like if you have somebody like that come in, even if they're only there for a short while, it helps everybody grow. And Obviously, they tried to get him back because he had such an influence on them. But yeah, they're, they're growing and growing. Look, if they beat Man United, could easily win the competition. Yeah, I think that's yeah, pretty it. much. This is it. Yeah. That, that's where we are. Like, we don't expect them to do that. But if they do, which is possible, then they mm. could win it. Also, for those that aren't familiar with this, uh, the the Lariel squad, and yeah, which which players are from the area? Just take a look at those names: Oyathabal, Iaramendi, Gorosabel, Elustondo. Those are local products. That's <laughs> that's what that's what those names look like. It's a fascinating language. I mean, random facts aside, this Sociedad team are just loads of fun. Uh, as we said on Monday. Alexander Isak smashing records, youngest player to score in five La Liga games on the spin mm. since Ronaldo Nazario for Barcelona. Oh, Yazabal, as you mentioned there, Sam, an absolute joy to behold. There's a reason City wanted him in the summer. Christian Porto's quite good value on the other side as well. And 19-year-old Ander Baranachea is starting to make a name for himself as well. I think one of the really interesting people in this, lads, is Mikel Marino, who has been re-establishing himself as a serious player for the last two years or so, following kind of those weird spells at Dortmund and Newcastle. Do you remember them? We just like oh, yeah. rocked up at Newcastle for a bit and everyone was like what's going on he was amazing for like a month yeah i'm real amazing and then rubbish for yeah, ages he, he's only 24 i'm not quite sure how that's happened but he is uh, and he earned himself his first full international cap for spain at the back end of 2020 so that's nice and now he's playing in front of club captain azia Ilaramendi, who's returned he brings sort of that steel in the middle and like you say the back four there's a kind of youthful core in there of zubaldia elostondo gorosabel ramiro and then just on the left hand side nacho monreal just looks over <laughs> and kind of just deals with all the experience by himself <laughs> and on top of all of this comes the returning david silver in the words of you know the three explorers in the forest the wizard approaches uh, his first start of the weekend in the win over Atafe after a hamstring injury over Christmas, which coincided with their worst spell of the season, exactly the news Manchester United fans would almost certainly not have wanted to hear. I had that fact earlier about Ossiman on Napoli, right? This is unbelievable. In the league, with David Silver in the side, Sociedad are picking up 2.23 points per game. Without him, it's 0.9. <laughs> yeah, they had that horrible run didn't they over november and december where they drew all the games and i'm sorry to keep going on about this but the second game of that run they played Villarreal and drew one all so <laughs> I, I don't i don't know if they caught something but six draws in a row after meeting unai emery's Villarreal, it can't be a coincidence no i agree i agree um 
But yeah, look, I mean, his creativity is obviously going to be so important. If they get past United, and it's going to be an incredibly tough task, we said, but this could be on. And I think this is perhaps the trickiest tie of the round in that this wouldn't be a game that's out of place in the Champions League round of 16, would it? Mm. No, I don't think so. I don't think so. Like, look, Real Sociedad are consistently sort of top six quality in La Liga, top four, really, for most of the season. Fourth highest scorers. And according to some pressing metrics I was looking at earlier, second most intense pressers in La Liga. Second only to Abar, who were notorious pests that lot. Unbelievably difficult to play against. So this is an intense side. This is this is a, a real matchup test. This is a this is a difficult evening's work for United over the course of 180 minutes. Like Sociedad look good on the ball, but they're awful to play against off the ball. And with Silverback, with Oyasabal fit, and with Isak in the form of his life. Yeah, this is a really tough one. And Real Sociedad are well worth watching. Absolutely. Who's the one ahead of them, Sam? I'm, I'm surprised they haven't been top. Yeah, it's um, Chief Chaos Merchants by Leverkusen. No, so okay, yeah, you can't be surprised about that. I mean, yeah. Christ, the, the Bundesliga has a bit of a tactical discipline issue at the moment, I think. And um, well, Bayer Leverkusen don't have a tactical discipline issue. They are just intentionally, tactically carnage, chaos, chaos pit all the words that we always use i mean i just don't really understand half of what they do half of the movements but jack i'll throw it to you again a little bit because you love Bayer leverkusen and they are your babies and florian verts is so young he could literally be your baby well he couldn't um, yeah, he could but but okay mm, no i don't think so i don't think was, <laughs> i don't think it's possible physically i'm afraid sorry um yeah, I mean they're they're just so much fun, aren't they? They're just they're just always involved in just like weird chaotic games. And like at the weekend, they threw away a two 0 lead in the 89th and 92nd minute against bottom of the table Mainz. You're like, well, what are you doing? Can you can you just not do that, please? Um, but it, I mean, it, it's pretty much on brand for Leverkusen now at this point. Before that, they beat Stuttgart five two. They've had some some wild results in recent weeks and. Basically, nothing changes at Leverkusen. They just, they're always just scoring. If you put a bet on every single week, both teams to score in a Leverkusen game, you would come up up at the end of the season. I guarantee it. Absolutely guarantee it. Because it's just, they're defensively a bit mental. They're offensively incredibly mental. They have so much pace in this side now. In DRB, Bailey, they added Damari Gray to that at the, at the weekend. Florian Verts, as you mentioned. Lucas Alario's found his goal-scoring form. He's, I think, just got up to double figures for Leverkusen for the season now. And it, it's just a kind of bizarre group of players who who don't appear to have any defensive work rate from the attacking from an attacking perspective. They've added now a flying right back in, in Jeremy Frimpong to try and add some more offensive width on the right-hand side, <laughs> which is probably the last thing they really needed. Um, but, I mean, you can't deny that it's incredibly good fun. And I have no doubt that whoever Leverkusen come up against over the course of this competition, goals and entertainment will flow. All right, I, I want to just add one last thing. We were going to do a players to watch segment, but we've covered Yusuf Yazici already. Uh, he was one of my two. I wanted to just chat quickly about Wenderson Galeno, who plays for Braga. He's the top assister in the competition so far, so this isn't actually that niche, Dean. But that shouldn't be anything new because he was also the top assister at this stage in the competition last year as well. Okay. Uh, he's 23 years old. He joined Porto's yourself at 19, but after two loan spells at Porto Menench and Rio Ave, he was deemed surplus to requirements of the Dragao and made the short hop up the road to Braga. Uh, since that move, he's nabbed 13 goals and 21 assists in 72 games for maybe the best nicknamed team in the world, Osk Arkebispos, the Archbishops. That's class. That is class. Really good, isn't it? Pretty much it one goal uh, one goal or assist in every two games. And our friend Marcus Alves, a journalist who specialises in, in Portuguese football, once compared him to Hulk in an article he wrote. And it's a nice comparison. He's incredibly explosive. And the way that he drives with the ball at his feet makes him, a, well, one, uh, an incredibly useful counter-attacking weapon, but two, uh, a joy to watch in full flight. The Europa League seems to be where he sparkles. So great matchup with Roma for Braga, and that's one game to watch, and he's definitely one yeah. to watch for them. It is a game to watch. I saw Fonseca talking about this one. He's very emotional about it. Very emotional. Um, place where holds her close to his heart. I've seen he's... One of his best mates in charge of Braga. So he said they're going to have a nice bottle of Italian wine after. But um, I'll be after Rome to see them off. It's very, very rude that he hasn't gone for a bottle of Portuguese wine. Yeah, yeah he, he was very clear. He was very clear that, like, I will be taking him Italian wine. That's like such a power play. Braga's not far from the Dodo Valley. Like, it's literally <laughs> Portugal's winemaking region. It's very rude. That is so bad. 
gonna pack it in his bag so there you go there we have it right well that's um that's pretty it that's it for our for our europa league section we've had we've had a lot of fun i think we've uh we've enjoyed ourselves there's been People, i've learned a lot from you two thanks lads thank you sam for a, a wonderful set of mini rankings uh we'll be back after the break for melon of the week and the gibberish rankings don't go anywhere <laughs> Fair play and fair value. It's what playing at William Hill is all about. William Hill. It's who you play with. Gamble responsibly. Welcome back to Ranks FC. It's time for my favourite part of the week. Dean Jones, the floor is yours. It's time for Melon of the Week. This week's Melon of the Week is... Ipswich Town fans. <laughs> All of them. All, everyone. Well, it's a, I can't narrow it down yet because the story hasn't been out for long enough to figure out how many of them and which ones it was. But you'll see why in a second. So, do you know what? I'm actually just going to read out the article here because it's my friend of mine, Sammy Mockwell, wrote it for the Daily Mail. And this is Melanish fan behaviour. I understand right now we're not allowed in the football stadiums and as a result of that, we can't... Um, let the team and the management know when we're not happy about things going wrong. But Ipswich fans found the way. Here's the headline. Ipswich Town forced to suspend training after supporters start a fire at the club's <laughs> training ground during protests against Paul Lambert. Now, listen, I don't like Paul Lambert. Uh, I've interviewed him many times. Didn't like him on any of those occasions. But not sure he deserves to have this happen awesome. to him. <laughs> a group of disgruntled fans upset at the direction the club are headed under Lambert threw flares into the club's training HQ, which the club say then caught on a layer of mesh netting and caused signage to catch fire. They had to suspend training because of the smoke billowing across the pitch. <laughs> and there's now an investigation going on to try and catch them yeah this is melanish this is melanish i mean you can make signs you could wait outside with a few boards and shout lambert out there's many ways to make your point known uh, probably setting <laughs> burning fire the training, training ground down is not him. one of them try to burn him's not the one you know as i say i don't like him but i want to burn him um, where were you where were you the other week when marseille stormed their training ground and set and yeah set that was flares? that was bad but that's typical for marseille to be fair <laughs> that they do that all the time also they didn't actually start a fire they just they because they know how to do it because they've done these protests many times before <laughs> they're well aware of keeping the the, the flares away from the mesh signage which fans <laughs> so amateur at flare throwing <laughs> set fire to their own football club that that is that is melonish stuff. I've actually got an honourable melon to throw into the ring here. I'm not, an, I'm not trying an honourable melon. Yeah, I'm not trying to. Um, I'm not trying to say that these Ipswich fans aren't me- uh, worthy of melon of the week. But a little story from my house um, this morning. Actually, Rach turned around to me and accosted me. Maybe the wrong word, but there was definitely a, a lambasting happening. And she told me in no uncertain terms that she did not appreciate the overwhelming stench coming out of the fridge and tried to single it out as my particularly stinky cheese and told me that I'd have to remove it or do something with it. So I investigated this claim and it turns out that not only is it not the cheese that's stinking the fridge out, it is her melon. It's she's bought melon and it's gone <laughs> off in the bottom of the fridge and it stinks. She's no. trying to blame it on the cheese, but it is an actual melon in the she's vegetable the drawer. Actual melon of the week. Unbelievable. That is unreal. Like you need to get a picture of her holding that melon. <laughs> because this yeah. is this is new territory we're stepping into here. We've never had an actual melon of the week that's caused an issue. Yeah. It's, wow. Uh, Quite, yeah. That's groundbreaking, mate. Well done. I'm surprised yeah. there was no Insta story to go with this, but cool. Yeah, I, I mean, that one should have been one for the gram. Right. That is the gibberish alarm. And it's time for the gibberish ranking, Sam. Yep. Okay. This week I have ranked the things grease... in my fridge that stink. <laughs> <laughs> oh, not quite. Not quite. Uh, I only have two for that. I need a third one. Uh, this week I've got a top three and I've ranked the, the greatest small pleasures in life and at three is jack collins just kidding so these are the little (laughs) these are the little moments the ones that won't make a headline for the day the ones that you won't report to your friends and family when they ask you what happened but they're just like really satisfying little moments that we're gonna do a podcast on it a good day (laughs) in at three 
is when you pick up your laptop to do something, just a small task, and it actually has enough battery to allow you to do it. Mm. This is no small relief because the feeling of picking up your laptop to do a little task and you get that out of battery sign flash up, demoralizing as hell, because you've got two options. You've either got to move to the charge point, which means that you actually can't do the task that you wanted to do where you wanted to do it. And very often, let's be honest, you're probably just trying to do something idly because you've forgotten to do it and you're just on the sofa watching TV. That means you've got to move, you've got to leave. That's a nightmare. Or you've got to bring the charging point to you, which is double the yardage because you've got to go and get it and then you've got to go and bring it back. And it just upsets your rhythm. And then you forget it. You leave it there. So the next time you're up wherever you're plugged in normally plugged in it ain't there yeah i know so i look i'm not asking for a lot here i'm not asking for a hundred percent not 90 percent, not even 80 percent of my battery yeah. just a really reasonable amount of battery 20 percent's good 30 is just stress-free because there's yeah. no chance that your task will bleed into the 20s and therefore it starts to look a little bit orange then a bit red and you start to look at oh have i got enough time just give me 30 to 40 percent and i'm good your tasks are obviously a lot shorter than mine. When I'm doing the tasks I'm generally doing on my laptop, it's I need at least 70% of the battery or we're in trouble. <laughs> well, you should just keep it plugged in all the time. But I'm very conscious of my battery's long-term health. Okay, you know? very good. And keeping very it good. plugged in will will play with that. So with What's number two, two of the, the greatest small pleasures is the first time you pull on a new pair of socks. This mm. is very satisfying. And it reminds me I need to buy a bunch of new socks. But... The brand new sock is is silky, it's smooth, it slides. No, it doesn't slide. It glides onto the foot. No resistance. It's a joy. But you wash it one time and it's gone. Mm. So if I was a millionaire, and I'm not, but if I was... I don't and think I you have to be to a millionaire. So. I don't think... I don't think what, only, buy, only wear a pair of socks once? <laughs> yeah. I think you'd have to be quite rich. One and done. Sock bin at the end of the bed and then straight into the trash. Wave in the new batch. I hey, Jack I read Collins, five that... pounds an hour to throw the old ones away and order the new ones in. And yeah. I'm a happy, happy man. I'm sure I read once that David Beckham does this with underwear, like only wears it once. I think he, came and, he came and denied it at one Did point. It? He I had to come out and deny it. Because I remember the story as well. But yeah, I think Bex had to come out and deny that one because it was a little bit ridiculous. Yeah. Um, you got a stash of brand new socks that I just saved for when I really, really want a pair. <laughs> just uh, if you're having a bad day. There's currently eight pairs sat in my drawer that have never been touched. They're still in the, they're still in the wrapper, all nice, set to go, all fresh. It's that really sounds, nice feeling. That, that sounds nice. amazing. That is amazing. Good, good new good socks in the you. bank. All right, number one is warm cookies fresh from the oven. Oh, you only God. have this because you liked it the other day. This is unfair. No, I, no, I mean, this has reminded me how much I love it. Yeah. I mean, this isn't the recipes. an everyday win. <laughs> like, you know, yeah. Every day, every day wins. <laughs> don't oh yeah, how much? How many, I make cookies 365 days a year. Do you? All right, mate. This is well, not, not an to, everyday win. <laughs> well, not today because it's pancake day. But otherwise, sure. I mean... In lockdown, we've done a lot of baking here, mate. A lot of baking. But the recipes, this is the problem. The recipes always say to wait for the cookies to cool down before you eat them. But let me let you in on a little secret, Max Squad. The recipes do not want you to be happy. Because <laughs> if you've got to the point where you trust that recipe and you let them cool down, you've missed out on the best bit, my friends. And we've got to the point, as a result of this revelation, that we now make quite big batches of cookie dough but we only then chop them up into sort of sets that would make about four cookies, freeze them, and then you pop that one batch on, chop it into four, put four cookies in the oven, bake them, 15 minutes later, you eat them all in one sitting. And then tomorrow, when you want more cookies, you get the next bit of batch, you pop it into four, you put it in the oven, 15 minutes later, four more cookies. There are no big batches, none of this nonsense, none of this save that tomorrow, none of that put it in the biscuit jar, none of that put it in a container, no making 12, eating four now and eating four tomorrow. You make four at a time, maximal enjoyment, warm cookies from the oven every single time. Mm. I, have to, the, I remember the first time I discovered the joy of this is when I was like 10 or 11 and went to um, Disney and our hotel was like one of these Disney hotels and stuff. And I remember like discovering American warm, fresh cookies. Honestly, no idea how many I ate that those, <laughs> over those two weeks, but it was, a, I, I was figuring out like what time the fresh batches were coming out. I'll be right down there waiting. I'd have like my $5 and I'd be like, mum, gotta go. It's time for the cookies. And yeah, I've never forgotten it. it it's had a long yeah. lasting impact, but I've never ever made cookies at home myself. Um, 
don't think I could live up to that. So a similar situation here is that every time I've ever been to Paris, and you know, you've always know that I'm not, I'm not a morning person, right? But yeah, and you hate Paris because the time's different. Too <laughs> yeah, dark. I mean, it's too dark. In, it's too dark in Paris. <laughs> we, we hate Paris. But actually, well, accepting Ballon d'Or trips with Dean, every time I've been to Paris, I've actually tended to wake up at, at very early in the morning because going down to the patisserie and getting fresh pan au chocolat in Paris is just another worldly experience. And it's along the same lines as the warm cookies, but my God, is it just different, different stuff. Yeah. I'd say my, my everyday thing is going downstairs and there's either a nice freshly boiled kettle for a cup of tea, just ready to go. It's done. That, that is my big win. That is a good, it's good start to the day. If that cup of tea is ready to go. Mm. Jack will be with me on that. A hundred percent. The other one is waking up like a couple of minutes before your alarm. Oh yeah. Like oh, if you just, for years. if you, <laughs> yeah, I suppose you get up. You've like got two. a human alarm. Yeah, you have a human. I've got Dylan doing like a big daddy splash on me. Yeah. Well, I get. <laughs> yeah. If you wake up and you're like, I know my alarm's set for like eight o'clock, and it's like you look at the thing and it's like seven fifty six, and you're like, ah, oh, I'm not going to be tired when the alarm goes off. That's a that's a that huge is, win. That is yeah. huge win. So yeah. there's there's my contribution. Well, thank yeah. you, Sam. That was a great. Apart from cookies, are just not an everyday occurrence, and I refuse to accept that as an everyday thing. But um, <laughs> you should but, come apart here, from mate. that, I I might move in. I might move in. Um, <laughs> apart from that, I think that's pretty much us done. And all that's left for me to do is say thank you very much to Dean Jones. Cheers, mate. And thank you very much, Sam Tai. Hope you all enjoyed Pancake Day. I did. Uh, I hope you all enjoyed Pancake Day as well. I've been Jack Collins. This has been Ranks SC. We hope you've enjoyed this and you're looking forward to the Europa League now that the warm-up is out of the way and uh, and we can get on to the main <laughs> course. Um, this has been Ranks FC. Thank you so much for listening as ever. Please keep sharing it with your friends and anyone else who you think might like it. And please keep giving us ratings and reviews on iTunes if you can. It really does help us to grow. Take care now, Rank Squad. We'll see you next week. Peace. Fair play and fair value. It's what playing at William Hill is all about. William Hill. It's who you play with. Gamble responsibly. 